What a great joy it is to come together this Sunday morning to appreciate the privilege it's ours to offer worship to the God that made us, to the God who sent His Son on our behalf, that you and I might one day live with Him forever. We're so thankful for the teaching of the Word of God, and today, as we come to just a few moments of reflection on a little four-letter word, some four-letter words are, of course, very bad things. This one is one that's often referred to in the Word of God. What about zeal? I chose that as the title of the lesson, and these introductory thoughts will simply, I hope, motivate us to reflect a few minutes today on what zeal is and what the Word of God has to say about it. May I suggest to you one of the first things we shall do is try to give a, de a definition consistent with the Bible's usage for this word, but then we will seek to make application, applying it to your life and mine in the same way the Word of God would encourage so that we can be that which God would have us to be. It's fair to say from Psalm 119, verse 139, that zeal will be characteristic of those, even in the Old Testament era, that were pleasing to God, and we shall discover that it will also be so today. Rather amazingly, I suppose all of us are well appreciative of the fact that zeal has often been misappreciated. It has been asserted to discuss and produce that which the Word of God doesn't guarantee. And today, why don't we at least try to understand that better and use that for our benefit and service to the God of heaven. As we do that on this next slide, could I devote a bit of attention as you use your Bible to look with me at several verses that shall help us not only identify what zeal is, but we shall be better equipped to put it into practice. Under the banner of identification, how would you define it? Well, first of all, here's a definition that you and I might well see in a common dictionary. I chose to look this up in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and this is how zeal is defined in that dictionary. It is a great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an, ob or an objective. It has to do with energetic and unflagging pursuit of an aim or a devotion to a particular cause. Again, we often use the word zeal even in common usage in a way somewhat like that, especially when it comes to particular ardent causes, sometimes social in character, other times political in character. You will often see a newspaper headline refer to the zeal of a person or a certain group. May I point out that other words that seemingly are rather closely connected to zeal are these. Words like passion, words like enthusiasm, words such as strong emotion. And to this point, I would suppose that nothing that, that has been notified here seems at all unusual. It seems exactly what we appreciate the word zeal to be. It has to do with this uncompromising pursuit of something that's deemed valuable and important and useful. It relates to enthusiasm. You and I have often seen enthusiasm in the lives of many in the world who are pursuing something. Well, today, what about the Word of God's usage of that as it relates to those that pursue His will? You'll notice next on that slide that the Bible uses this word zeal or some closely related form of it some 26 times 
in the 66 Bible books, and of that number, 14 of them in the New Testament. Well, among those things, surely God had a message. Surely He had something He would wish to convey to you and me, and surely we understand His Word will not return void under the banner of Isaiah 55:11. With that said, why don't we then devote some time to reflecting on zeal? The Greek word that is so often translated in that way in those New Testament passages, it has to do with fervency of spirit. And I say it like this. The particular way that's rephrased or phrased has to do with a fermenting or boiling of a liquid. It has to do with an agitation, something motivated to the point where it is appreciated to be hot relative to what's under discussion. With that said, would you think with me just a moment about Titus 2.14. Christians are described like this. You and I remember that under the banner of those described, Paul writing to Titus pointed out that these, these Christians, were those who have not only appreciated that the grace of God appears to all men, verse 11, but that grace teaches us that we must deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly. But then he points this out. We are a people of His possession, zealous of good works. In many ways, there's our word zeal, zealous. The Greek word carries the idea of burning up with good works. People on fire with good works. People who not only are emotional and passionate about it, they exhibit an enthusiasm related to the issue of this service to God. As you notice near the close of that slide, it's easy to see that our God is zealous. How many times does the Word of God testify of the fact that He is zealous for His will? I've just used a sampling of a few passages, 2 Kings 19, Isaiah chapter 9, as well as Isaiah 37, all pointing out to you and me that God uncompromisingly and zealously pursues His will. Not shockingly, we shall learn He anticipates that we as His followers will also be zealous to pursue His will. As you and I close that slide and think more about this zeal, let's continue the identification by making another set of New Testament identifications. We've already highlighted zeal to be connected to enthusiasm and passion. Look at a few instances such as these. In John 2.17, we have, among other passages, a description of those that pursue the teaching of the Lord will be those who exhibit zeal. In Psalm 69.9, that was true of the Old Testament too, those who pursued the things of God. Other examples would be these. Could I take just a few moments and with you highlight some interesting attributes from the book of 2 Corinthians? In fact, if you'd like to hold your finger at that text, maybe you've already identified, but why don't we look at chapter number 7. And notice that as Paul referred to that congregation, he appealed to them that they would direct their zeal in service to God, and particularly in relation to Him. Isn't that interesting? You may notice two chapters later in chapter 9, verse number 2, it says... For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, 
that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Did you notice? The zeal of the church at Corinth had provoked others in light of a good idea. These others had been aware of the fact that they of Corinth had made opportunity and at least had made promise for the, a gathering for poor saints near Jerusalem and that that had motivated others. How often have you and I been prompted perhaps to a greater action on behalf of something when we see the zeal of somebody else? Their passion, their enthusiasm may well motivate a number of others. That's often true for things secular in character. Shouldn't it be true religiously? Should we as a church be a people burning up with good works, displaying the zeal of our conviction in terms of the gospel of Christ? Absolutely. And Paul again complimented the church at Corinth in some ways. He also, of course, pointed out they should have followed up with that promise. They were forward a year ago, but they had allowed their words to fall with a bit of failure in that they had not followed up on the promise. May you and I not fall into that unfavorable matter. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, what powerful marching orders are shared with you and with me. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You and I are admonished, just as were they, that we might be steadfast and unmovable. But then he says, always abounding, always pursuing, and always motivated with the appreciation of being a faithful servant to the Lord. It may well be in those lights. We begin to appreciate that we arrive at an issue or somewhat of a problem. You and I are well aware of the fact that there are some in the realm of religion who are quick to almost attach enthusiasm to everything that's good. And that so long as a person has enthusiasm, it doesn't matter about much else. That enthusiasm alone is perceived and appreciated to be enough and sufficient and fully adequate to make one pleasing to God. Let's devote a little bit of time, though, for we haven't exhausted all the verses. What else do the Word of God have to say about zeal? On this next slide, why don't we make this interesting observation? Does the Word of God share with you and me one or more facts about a zeal that was found lacking? May I say again, a zeal that was not adequate... Well, indeed, the answer to that is yes. Let's develop that point along these lines. Would you revisit with me 2 Samuel 21, verse number 2? We shall be to that passage fairly soon in our Sunday morning class, by the way. But as you revisit that passage with me, you will quickly observe that one rather dramatic description is given. Allow me to read the passage, and then let's devote some attention to it. 2 Samuel 21, verse number 2. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Now maybe the larger picture is almost easy to appreciate based on the passage 
but could I invite you to notice that there came a time in ancient Israel when something of the zeal of Saul, his ear noted, and you and I might immediately ask a question, was the zeal a good thing or was it not? Now the Hebrew word that's here translated as zeal again carries with it the thought of a burning thing, something that involves both emotion, enthusiasm, and passion. Saul had it. Was it a good thing? You may again notice that Saul sought to slay them. You may take note that the them refers to the Gibeonites. Saul had it in his mind to pursue the slaughter of the Gibeonites despite the fact of the words of Joshua chapter 9. As far back as Joshua 9, under the leadership of Joshua, the children of Israel had selected and chosen that they would spare the Gibeonites. And yet here, centuries later, Saul in his zeal sought to kill them. May I point out to you, Saul's zeal here was not a good thing. It was a misappropriated thing. It was a thing that was lacking. Could we already learn a lesson? Zeal by itself isn't always good. It can be misdirected. One can in zeal pursue what ought not be pursued. In other words, one may well, by some means of choice, choose to follow what would be better unfollowed. You'll notice some statements on that slide. Saul sought to slay them in his zeal. That's only one text among others that will point out to us rather noticeably and rather quickly how that zeal can be a rather poor thing. In Romans chapter 10, if we go to the heart of the New Testament, wasn't it true that to the Roman congregation Paul had words like these to say, and these words will directly challenge us with regard to the concept of zeal. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Now, we already know the specifics of the finish of this. We ought never to be conformed to the world, but transformed in such a way that we pursue fully the way of God. And as that text in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 point that out to us, doesn't it cast a spotlight? Doesn't it bring to bear the thought of what occurred two chapters earlier? In Romans chapter 10, verses 1, 2, and 3. In that passage, Paul directly pointed out, the interesting feature about some of his day, Jews admittedly, those who chose to pursue the matters of the law of Moses and to give their adherence to it, and they did so with zeal. And Paul rather directly said that these have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. May I say that again? Here were a people who possessed an element of zeal. You and I know many of the things that the Jews had done. They sought to discredit the work of Paul. They had been a critical element in bringing about the death of the Master, Jesus Himself. They were zealous without doubt. Problem is, it was a zeal without God. It was a zeal without knowledge. And therein lied the issue. Therein lied the problem. You'll notice thus on that slide that in Acts 21 verse 20, we have something there said about, again, the passion, the zealousness 
for the law that they had, and that referred to the law of Moses. But surely in that connection, and in light of that observation, you and I know that Paul himself was exhibit A for the issue of this matter. Paul was a zealous man. Even before he obeyed the gospel, he was zealous for the Judaistic way of things. He lived in all good conscience unto that day, he said in Acts 22.3. It might well be noted that in the light of that statement and in the character of that presentation, we found a man who was zealous. In Galatians 1.14, Paul would use the word there and say, I was more zealous than many of those, my brethren. Even though the Jews were zealous as people, Paul was even more zealous than many of them. He had in his possession letters that permitted the imprisonment of Christians in Damascus in Acts 9 verses 1 and 2. We find furthermore that in his consideration, he held the clothes of those that put Stephen to death in Acts 7 verses 56 and following. Zealous? Oh yes. But ignorantly so? Oh, yes. You may notice near the bottom of that slide, then doesn't it seem fair and easy to say zeal can be misdirected? It can be misinformed. Is it entirely possible that a person, although enthusiastic and although zealous, may well be doing what is not pleasing to God? Absolutely. Saul did it. The Jews, of course, were in that same category. You and I might thus note zeal can be a very motivating thing, but one must always make sure that it's consistent with rightness and the knowledge that God has revealed. Religiously today, of course, the same kind of thing is well to be noted. That there are many who may well present an issue in earnestness, and an issue in honesty, but the fact is their zeal is misdirected because it is not consistent with the knowledge of God. It is for that reason on this slide, you and I notice some more usages and examples and presentations of the Bible's consideration of zeal. I thought that we would use this slide after having considered the earlier one in which we saw some examples of zeal that was misdirected. What about some examples of zeal that was properly directed? And should that not be a matter of some value and a matter of some encouragement to you and to me? For example, in Numbers 25, verses 6 and following, we encounter an instance in which we find a rather zealous set of activities in, related, in relation to a rather interesting development. You and I remember God had urged and in fact ordered His people that they be uniquely devoted to only intermarrying with the people of Israel. That is to say, they were not to take their husbands and wives from those that were beyond the tribes of Israel. And yet... In that circumstance, we find that there were those who were taking wives of, of, of foreign peoples. In Numbers 25, as you'll briefly see noted here, there was a Midianitish woman who in fact had been taken and she had even been brought into a man's tent. Phineas actually put her and the man to death. 
And that zeal, as it was described, was looked upon with favor because in it, God, in fact, looked upon this rather emotional, enthusiastic reflection as something that was worthy. A person actually sought to defend the things of God. May I pause long enough to ask, what about you and me today? Do we defend the things of God? And sometimes that will require some zeal. There are many in our world who oppose God, and it seems as if they have a lot to say. And they are very quick to say it. May you and I not be silent partners to the truth. I believed, therefore I have spoken. 2 Corinthians 4.13 Paul said because he believed, it led him to speak. May you and I speak with the opportunities given to us and exhibit that defense of the truth and do so in light of an element of zeal on behalf of that. You see, zeal, when properly directed, is a great thing. And it's what God expects of us. You'll notice furthermore on that slide, Paul reminded us of something in 1 Corinthians 14, 12. This had to do with the church at Corinth again. And it was pointed out in a way that is summarized by what I've invited you to note on the slide. Paul highlighted to them that zeal is right when directed in behalf of that truth connected to the church. That zeal, you see, Paul spoke of in chapter 14, verse 12. Now, there was a problem, admittedly, with some of the things related to the exhibition of the spiritual gifts of the first century. Paul will devote three chapters to that discussion in chapters 12 to 14. But yet in the midst of it, he never questioned the reality of zeal or of its appropriateness when rightly pursued. Now that same thing should be true of us. Do you and I care about the church? Do we love it to the point where we're zealous about it? Zealous for it? Do we look forward to its assemblies? Do we look forward to the programs which it upholds and in fact sends forward in the matter of evangelism? I hope that we do. The church is not just a second-tiered reality that just takes a few hours of our time every now and then. The church, you see, should mean everything to us because it's the body of Christ. It's the ones that are going to be saved eternally, Ephesians 5.23. The church is the very thing for which Christ died, Acts 20, verse 28. May our zeal be representative of the feelings of our heart in gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done for us. We never want to have a zeal without knowledge, admittedly, but a zeal properly informed and a zeal motivated by our love for the truth should always work to our good. You'll notice furthermore on that slide, even in repentance, there should be an element of zeal that's apparent. Could I point that out to us from Revelation 3.19? Didn't Paul, or rather John the Revelator, say to that church, particularly the Laodiceans on that occasion, be zealous and repent. It may be you and I at times in life in recognizing that we have allowed ourselves to veer from God. We have begun to act in a way that Quite frankly, we shouldn't. And maybe we became overwhelmed in the reality of where we then were 
where we had come from and we wanted to return and maybe tears streamed out our face in light of our interest and passion to get back to be right with God. That's not an inappropriate thing. You and I, in moments when a, a wayward brother or sister in Christ comes back to the faith, it ought to be a, an emotional time of thanksgiving, an emotional time of appreciation for a soul that's come to its senses, just like that prodigal son that chose to come home in Luke chapter 15. It might well be in that light that we can then appreciate zeal when spoken of in that kind of way is such a good thing. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide that it takes us back to the lesson text. That the passage that was read in our hearing earlier today, Joe read for us from the fourth chapter of the Galatian letter. Would you please revisit that with me as we cast a spotlight on some of what we see in that verse. Galatians 4, verse number 18. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. Paul admonished the congregations of Galatia and reminded them that it's good to be zealously affected in that which is good. But surely one wishes not to be zealously affected in what's not so good. But Paul pointed out to them, this ought not be something that's hot and cold, something that's hit or miss, something that's here or there. He said, it's always good to be this way. And that takes us back to the text that we noted earlier in Titus 2 verse 14. Zealous of good works. Does that characterize you and me? Passionate, enthusiastic, emotional in favor of... Does that characterize you and me? You know, isn't it true that one of the things that was noted about that church mentioned in Revelation 3, that church at Sardis, is they had a name that they lived, but they were dead. Now, how would that play out in reality? There was a name that was connected with them, but they were dead. So the zeal was gone. The passion was gone. The emotional connection was gone. They were walking through the motions, perhaps at best. May that never characterize you or me. May that never be a description so that others looking without might see, there's a name there, but as far as I can tell, they're dead. That church in Sardis was strongly reprimanded. You've got to change this. This is not right nor good. May again that not characterize us, but rather may we in zeal, in passion, in enthusiasm be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and look forward to the opportunities that God has given us to be His servant. We look forward to the works of the church, her assemblies, and the delightful time when we can honor the things of God by assembling with His people, studying His Word, and being encouraged by what that Word teaches us. Worship to God, without doubt, is one of the premier activities, and it's an activity in which we are now engaged even today, but it's an activity that has such meaning within it, meaning for us on several levels. 
as you close that slide with me, how refreshing it is then to reflect upon congregations like those in Galatia that were zealously affected. As you and I would strive ourselves to be in that particular consideration, why don't we come to the conclusion of our lesson and ask a little bit about the application of zeal in some final ways to you and to me. Personally, am I zealous for the Lord? I can't answer that for you, nor can you answer it for me. But each of us had better answer it. And we had better give thought to it and make changes if necessary. If I'm not zealous for the Lord, what about all these verses we've studied today that would challenge us about that's what God wants and it's what ought to be true given what the Lord's blood has done for us. If I'm not zealous for the Lord, if you're not, it's time to make a self-examination. It's time then to act on behalf of that failure and that lacking because we wish not to be those who have a misinformed zeal we wish not to be those who have a misdirected zeal. We wish to be like those who have a zeal of God that is according to knowledge. There are many in the religious world who, again, promote zeal almost to the point of the only thing that's, that matters. And yet a misinformed zeal is a zeal that's no good. Did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 20, or rather Matthew 15, beginning in verse 7, that there were a group of people who gave homage with their lips, but their heart wasn't in it. And in light of that, he said, they do worship me in vain, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Their heart wasn't in it. Now that had been a problem in the Old Testament as well in Ezekiel 33 verse 31. But it was also a problem among those whom the Lord was teaching as well. Today, how zealous are you and me? Do we love the church? Do we love the Lord's Word? Does it thrill us to give thought to ways in which we can uphold it and be a part of its activity upon earth? If so, may we continue that way of thinking and may that zeal be with us as we continue to serve. We're told to be thou faithful unto death and I'll give thee a crown of life. If it's the case, though, that that zeal has waned, what was once a burning fire is now some lukewarm coals at best. It's time to reignite that flame, or better yet, allow the Lord to reignite it. Today, He could do that, and He's promised He will. If you and I will simply but come to Him and let Him work through the matter of the gospel in our lives, Today, if we could be of some help, some assistance in some way, we'd be delighted to do that. As a person who once was a faithful Christian, but is it today, why not come back to your first love? Just like the church in Ephesus was told to do in Revelation 2 verse 5. If we could help you with that, you need to repent, to confess, and we'd be delighted to pray with you. If you have once been in that condition, why not come back? If you've never become a Christian today, let today be that wonderful and beautiful day. As you respond to the gospel invitation and belief, repentance, confession, baptism, we'd be delighted to assist and to celebrate with you. Brother Larry has chosen this song of encouragement. If you would wish to come at this time, please do it while together we stand and while we sing.